Well, this morning we are in Mark chapter 5, and uh, we're continuing on our study of the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, looking at it through all four Gospels, doing the best we can to, to put his life and ministry in chronological order, and we've been at it for a while. And uh, this week's message, uh, in the end of Mark chapter 5, I'll be honest with you, I struggled a long time this week trying to go, okay, what's, what's a good few, you know, like those fill in the blanks? Some of you who are a little OCD, you're not going to like me today if you like outlines. Well, or you're going to really like me because you can make up your own outline. If you notice your notes this morning, I didn't have anything in it. And it's simply because I struggled and I wrote and then I rewrote and I tried again. And it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to get up and teach the text rather than uh, try to fake some kind of false outline on you. Sound good? And uh, so maybe there'll be something unique for you that the Lord will teach you. Uh, so pay attention. We're just going to be straight through the text and you've got lots of room to write down notes. Sound good? If you're ready, say Go. All right, let me pray and then we'll do that. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, it's, it's so evident, your grace through Jesus today in the text. And so I pray you'd help me to teach it well and uh, that you'd uh, give us hearts, Holy Spirit, to respond in faith. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, he, he would accuse us and tempt us and uh, seeks to kill and destroy. Um, but instead, Holy Spirit, might you reign and uh, in our hearts and in our minds uh, this hour and this week and change us more and more into the image of your son. Father, thanks for Jesus. I pray all of this through him and because of him. Amen. Mark chapter 5, we're in verse 21. And I'll just start right there reading here. It says, uh, Mark writes this, he goes, And when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. If you remember where we've been the last few weeks, uh, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or really the Lake of Galilee. Luke calls it the lake, and really it is. It's just a big lake. And uh, he goes across, and while he's on his way, we talked through this passage at the end of Mark chapter 4 a few weeks ago. Jesus had had a really long day of ministry, and he gets out in the middle of the lake, and what happens? Uh, Jesus decided to take a nap. He'd had a long day. He takes a nap, but a big storm comes up. There's water crashing into the boat. His disciples freak out. Why are you sleeping? Why don't you care? They wake him up and Jesus does what? He says, peace, be still. And he calms the storm. And we talked about it. This, the issue wasn't so much uh, the disciples going through the storm or you and I going through storms in our life. The problem was the storm got inside the disciples. And maybe that's where you're at this week. And you need a reminder of that, that the storm You're going to go through it, but don't let it get inside of you. And then he gets to the other side. And as soon as he steps out, there's a demon possessed man. And not just with one demon, but with, he said, our name is Legion for we are many multiple demons. And what does Jesus do? He casts them all out. He casts them in, uh, into a herd of pigs on the cliff side. And they all run down into the lake and drown. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's foreshadowing what's going to happen in the end when Jesus casts all of uh, the demons and Satan himself, not into the Lake of Galilee, but the Lake of Fire. And you can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. That's what's going to happen. And, and Jesus then cares for this man. Why? Because all people matter. And, and he cares for him. And he, he, bound, he binds up his wounds. And he, he's dressed and sends him off on mission. And uh, the rest of the people reject him. They send him off, and now he's come back across the lake, and here he is. He's coming back to the other side, and that's where Mark is now. He says, uh, when Jesus got to the other side, uh, a great crowd gathered about him. This was so typical for Jesus' ministry. Huge crowds everywhere. 
They, they just followed him. He could not get away for the life of him. There, there's one account sometimes where they cross the lake and, and people run along the seashore and they meet him on the other side. He couldn't get away from people. They, they, they loved him, but I think also sometimes maybe they loved what he did for them more than they really loved him. Do you love him or do you love more what he does for you than who he is? Well, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea and he got out of the boat. And as he's getting out, all the people are there. It's a big contrast from where he had been, where the people sent him away. Here the people were welcoming him. But, but again, they, they were condemned in many ways too because their faith wasn't one of faith of trust in Jesus. Often it was, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? It was genie in the bottle, Jesus. Heal me now, Jesus. Help me today. Take the wheel, Jesus. That sort of thing, right? Not truly who Jesus is, maybe loving him. So neither is necessarily all that good. But he gets out. There's a crowd. And then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. By the way, I, I always I look at this name and I think it says Darius. So I always, if I say Jairus, just go with me and just go, okay, I, he, he doesn't know what he's saying, but it's Jairus. All right, so, so Jairus by name, and seeing him, seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet. One of the rulers of the synagogue, what does that mean? Well, each of these small towns around Galilee and in Israel, they, they would have had uh, small synagogues, a, a small center of worship. And they weren't very big. I mean, many were smaller than like our fellowship hall over here. If you walk over there and imagine a room maybe half that size, that's a lot of the synagogues in, in Israel. And each, there was many in, in each small town, and someone would have always been elected, uh, a layperson uh, by the elders would have been elected the ruler of the synagogue, or the leader of the synagogue. And his job was um, much like a trustee or a pastor of a small church. Um, he was the guy who cared for the building. He was the guy who, uh, who scheduled and made sure uh, there were teachers coming on Sunday to teach. Very much like a small church where they didn't have a full-time staff. They didn't have a full-time rabbi oftentimes. And, and they would, they would, uh, he would make sure that someone was coming to teach. And he would oversee the operation because there was a school that would have taken place during the week uh, teaching boys uh, the, the Old Testament and the law. And this is, this is Jairus. And beginning in the days of Ezra, a group of 10 Jewish families could establish a synagogue. And, and now you maybe have an idea of why it was Jesus is always teaching in these synagogues. Because whenever a traveling teacher would come to town, uh, you think of a small church maybe that doesn't have staff. And, and they're just, whoever they can find, they're like, yeah, come preach. We need somebody to teach us. That would have been the case in the synagogues. And so Jesus would have taught in this synagogue in the synagogue that Jairus was the ruler over in Capernaum multiple times. In fact, the first time that he shows up there in, in Mark, that Mark records in chapter 1, uh, Jesus starts preaching and it says that everyone was amazed at the way that he taught because he taught as a man with authority. They were amazed at his teaching. And in fact, then at the same time, a demon-possessed man shows up and Jesus casts out the demon. And then later that night, people were so receptive to him, they follow him to the house that he's staying in. And everybody's knocking on the door, trying to get in, trying to get healed. Jairus had a lot of experience with Jesus. He invites him back. He's back to preach again in Mark chapter 3. And this time, a guy with a bum hand shows up. And what does Jesus do? It's on the Sabbath. He heals him. He heals him. Jairus had a lot of interactions with Jesus up to this point. He had had him teach. He's like, oh, he's a good teacher. People like him. Let's get him back. And they, they keep inviting him back. And he keeps teaching and teaching. And so think about Jairus for a second. 
He's very much like a pastor of a small church. Uh, He had seen great crowds gather to hear Jesus. He had seen big confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders and teachers. He saw demons cast out by Jesus. He saw people healed by Jesus. And he saw this multiple times. Well, he comes as Jesus gets out of the boat and he fights through and he finds Jesus. And what's he do? He falls at his feet. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet after fighting through the crowds. Now, Jesus had had a long day, a long couple days of ministry. He'd had a long day previously, if you read Mark chapter 3 and 4, and then he gets across the lake, and he has a long day there, and now he's back, and all of a sudden, here's all these people again. And everybody wants something from him. And Jairus comes, and Jairus knew what this was like. He oversees a synagogue. He knows what it's like dealing with people. He knows the good, bad, the ugly of ministry. And how you can never please everybody. And, and he comes and he gets to Jesus and he falls at his feet in worship. And look what he says. He implored Jesus saying, earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, made well and live. Jairus' daughter is very, very sick to the point of dying. According to Luke's account, we find out that this is Jairus' only child, his only daughter. I wonder how long had they tried to have a daughter, tried to have a child. And that God finally gave him one. And um, we learn later in this chapter that she's about 12 years old, Mark tells us. And he's had 12 years with her, and now she's so sick she's going to die. Dads, do you have a young daughter? Anybody have a young daughter? Ladies, are any of you about 12, 13 years old? Nobody? Well, imagine you have a young daughter. Feel this for a second. Don't, don't just let it, let, don't just go through it, but, but open up your heart and engage this story. What, what are your dreams for your daughter, dad, mom? What are your dreams for her? And if you don't have a daughter, maybe your son. How do you picture it? 10, 15 years down the road. What do you imagine happening? Do you imagine uh, if you have a daughter walking her down the aisle? Do you imagine her having uh, grandkids that you get to have come over and play? Uh, Do you imagine uh, going out to breakfast with her? Maybe as she grows up through her high school years. And what do you imagine? Feel this for a second. Jairus shows up and all those dreams are, are, are on the brink. He he falls at Jesus' feet in worship and he says, my daughter's dying. Jesus, you've got to come. And you've got to come now. You've got to come now. If you touch her, she'll live. Come lay your hands on her. He's pleading so that she may be made well and live. Jairus, see I did it. Jairus has seen Jesus heal others. and, And he has faith that Jesus can do it again. That he'd do it with his own daughter. And he pleads with him, come to my house, touch my daughter, make her well. She's very sick. He doesn't even, I mean, you you know this just from the fact that he doesn't even try to bring his daughter to Jesus. He tries to bring Jesus to her. She's on her deathbed. And he needs him to come quickly. Verse 24, it says, and Jesus, he went with him. Now in the Greek, that that text, it, it really implies Jesus went off with him promptly. Like there's this great sense of urgency that Jesus is just like, all right, right now we're fighting through the crowd. Here we go. I know you, Jairus. I love you. I'm going to go. Let's go. Care for your daughter. Here we go. 
you know, Jesus could have simply spoken a word, couldn't he? He could have just said, go home, she'll be fine. But he didn't do that, did he? He did that previously. He did that with others. Jairus even could have asked that of him. I don't know why maybe that didn't occur to him in the moment or if just for whatever reason. Uh, but Jesus works within uh, Jairus' limitations, within his expression of faith. And, and, and he goes with him to his house. Jesus could have spoke a word, but instead to build Jairus' faith, he's going to go with her and actually touch his daughter and heal her. He met Jairus where he was, and he answered him according to his faith. So they fight their way back through the crowd. And if you've ever done this, you know what kind of a task it would be. If you've ever been to Walmart on the weekend, you know what kind of task this would be. Right? I mean, he's elbowing people. He's trying to get through. He's weaving through. And everybody's bumping. Everybody's hitting you. You're taking elbows. Everybody's trying to stop and talk to Jesus. But they're, they're making their way through. And now Mark shifts gears. Look at verse 25. And there was a woman. Mark tells another part of the story. He says, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. For as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, this woman has been bleeding. And it's likely some type of uh, menstrual disorder or uterine disorder But she's been sick for a long time. And her bleeding, if you understand the Old Testament in Leviticus, this would have caused her to be ceremonially and and ritually unclean. Now, sometimes we look at some of those rules in the Old Testament of what's clean and unclean and people being cast out. Oh, that's just weird and that's mean. But a lot of times it simply had to do with, one, it was obedience to God. But also there's a a part of it where it's simply, um, they, they didn't have the medical facilities and hygiene that we have today, right? So it was part of God's way to ensure health among his people. And that's part of it, but I won't go into all that now. But but her bleeding caused her to be unclean. So she couldn't worship in the synagogue. She couldn't have normal social relations because anyone else who came in contact with her would also become unclean. And if she would go out in public, you know what she had to do? Unclean! (laughs) Unclean! She had to let everybody know that she was unclean. Because if they touched her, they became unclean. How would you like to live that way? For 12 years. Mark goes on describing her situation. He says that she suffered under many physicians. She had spent all that she had. This poor woman. What a chronic condition. And she had the, the, the help from multiple physicians didn't help. She saw all kinds of doctors and specialists. She, she looked into alternative therapy. She did the clinical trials. She went to Mayo. She went to Cleveland Clinic. She went to John Hopkins. Nothing worked for her. Nothing worked. It was all to no avail. In fact, Mark tells us that she didn't get better. She actually, what happened? She got worse. She got worse. Basically, every human endeavor yielded her nothing. And it cost her everything she had. Healthcare wasn't even cheap in Jesus' day. It cost her everything. Now she was sick, but she was also broken, impoverished. This is what happens to people who suffer physically or mentally of some kind of disease or some kind of condition. And 
That hasn't changed today, has it? <laughs> I mean, there's people in our church that come to mind maybe for you right now who, who very much resemble this woman. Maybe they haven't been bleeding for 10 years, but they've been suffering with something for a long time. Um, maybe they've, they've, they've spent years in some cases trying to get better, trying to be healed. They've, they've spent thousands of dollars. They've been to all the specialists, all the clinics, and they're no better today than when they started. Maybe that's you. In fact, they're worse. Physically, they're probably worse. Financially, they're definitely worse off. Mentally and spiritually, they're potentially worse off. Maybe if you know someone like that this week, you would write a letter to them or a note or give them a phone call. Because there are people. Maybe it's someone who's sick comes to mind right now. Maybe it's somebody who's in a nursing home. Maybe it's somebody with a chronic condition. Maybe it's just somebody who's lonely. Because think about how lonely this woman would have been. By the way, if you don't have any names, come see me. I'll give you a handful. Or go, go see Jack. He visits people all the time. He'll give you a handful of names of people you can write a note to this week. But think about this woman and how lonely she would have been. She eats all of her meals by herself. She worships God all by herself. She lives probably by herself. And according to Leviticus, because of her condition, we're not told how old she is, but she couldn't uh, experience intimacy with her husband if she had a husband. So maybe she was never even able to get married or more, more likely even her husband would have divorced her. She has no husband, no children, no money. She has no church. She has no 110 group. She has no hope. But then she hears that Jesus is coming. Look what happens. Verse 27, she heard the reports about Jesus. And she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Now there's debate about this woman. Was she from Capernaum or was she from out of town? And she heard about it and she came there. I, I tend to think and by the argument that she was probably from out of town. Because if she had been here and finding her way through the crowd, everyone would have known who she was. And they would have been like, whoa, uh-uh, unclean. I think she probably hid that, and she came, maybe, according to her tradition, she's from uh, over by the coast along the Mediterranean Sea. But she came up behind him in the crowd, behind him because she shouldn't have been in the crowd to begin with. She wasn't telling anyone that she was unclean. She's not to touch anyone so that they don't become unclean. And what she do, she touches his garment. And Luke tells us in his account that she touched the hem or the fringe of his garment. So you know what that tells me? Do you know where that would have been? That would have been down on the ground. It's likely she's on her knees or on her face as Jesus goes by or she catches up to him. She goes down to worship. She grabs the fringe of his garment and she touched it. For she said, if I even touch his, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well, now why would she think that? Why would she think that? Well, according to tradition at that time, and it was, it was a common belief that touching the garments of a righteous person or a holy man would have healing effects in your life. And you see this actually in the book of Acts, right? You see this with Paul. And Paul, uh, there, there was an account where uh, people became healed just by touching his clothing or touching the handkerchief that he had. And uh, other times Jesus is going into other towns and there's record of people touching him and they simply touch him and they're healed. 
Now, what I want you to see, though, is that this isn't like some kind of weird thing. Like you go to the right place and you drink the right water, like fountain of youth sort of thing. And you, you, do, you go through all the right incantations and then suddenly you're healed. It's not that. Really, what I want you to see is that this woman becomes healed because of her faith. She reaches out and touches him in faith. And if I had a fill-in for you this morning, maybe this would be it. Uh, reaching out in faith to Jesus. And that's what I want you to see what she's doing here. She reaches out in faith. This is an act of faith. It is. You know, sometimes you think about faith and you think that's just kind of, especially for people maybe if you didn't grow up in the church or, or you're new to faith or you're new here and you're like, faith just seems like this wishy-washy jello sort of thing and I don't know how to get a handle on it. Like it's just, it's a strange concept that I'm I'm saved by faith and I'm kept in faith and I'm to walk in faith and faith, faith, faith. But but what is it? What is it? What does it look like? Well, you get a real good picture of it here. And maybe what I would uh, commend to you today is that you might think of it simply as reaching out to Jesus in faith. And that's what this woman does. She falls down to her knees, if not on her face, and she reaches out to touch the hem of his garments. She reaches out to touch him. She takes action in her faith. I've defined faith like this. Do you remember it? Uh, faith is believing God's word. She had heard the reports about Jesus and believed them. And then it's, it's acting upon it. It's taking action on what I believe. And, and she does that. She reaches out to him in faith. Uh, no matter how I feel, because sometimes I don't want to believe in faith. I don't feel like it. Because God promises a good result and God keeps every one of his promises. That's a good definition of faith, I think. She's believing God's word and she's acting upon it. She's reaching out to him in faith. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. This is an act of faith. And she has great faith. She has great faith. Now now think about, again, her condition. She comes up behind him. Think of the fear that would have been involved for her. I already told you to think about Jairus and, and the hurt in his heart of his daughter being sick. But now put yourself in the life of this woman who's been so alone for so long, rejected for so long, totally broke, probably in debt, unclean, maybe rang in her ears of who she was. And she reaches out. She sneaks up behind him because she doesn't want anybody to know. She just, she wants to touch him, hopefully be healed, and then kind of get away without anyone really noticing. Because she's been shamed for the last decade of her life. Well, look at verse 29. Immediately after she touched him, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Think about that for a second. You ever have something that that just aches or hurts? Or maybe you cut yourself. And I I cut myself on my arm here. I don't know how I did it. got infected and I scraped it on something. But I was thinking about that because I kept bumping it on stuff this week because I was studying it kind of stings and... I thought, imagine if I was there and I was able to reach out and touch Jesus and I just felt this and I like saw the wound close up and totally gone and healed. Wouldn't that be cool? This woman, it says she felt within her. She felt the bleeding stop. She felt everything get better. All the pain, all the hurt. All of a sudden, she's healed. Or maybe, maybe you have a chipped tooth or you're missing a tooth and like it grows back. Like you feel it when Jesus heals you and he heals her completely. In that instant, her body's healed. And I would commend to you that her soul was also healed. She had faith. She had faith. And God's power was unleashed in her life by her faith. You need to know that this is how it works. 
This is exactly how it works. God's power is unleashed in your life, in your heart, in your soul, through your faith. Your faith doesn't earn his power. Your faith doesn't earn his favor. It's not some magic thing that like he always is going to maybe heal you physically. But I'm telling you, your faith unleashes his power for sure to heal you spiritually and mentally and emotionally. It does every time, every time. It's not try harder. It's not say these three prayers. It's not give this much money. It's believe and and get down on your knees, worship Jesus and reach out in faith. Reach out for him. Look at the details again. She felt in her body she was healed. And, and what's more amazing, though, is this woman, think about it now. For 12 years, she walked around everywhere she went. If, if, if we were back in that day and she walked into our church, when she walked in past the greeters, uh, she'd have to kind of keep to herself, if she was even here, because she shouldn't be here to begin with, because she's unclean. But she's walking in unclean, 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 unclean. Maybe she finds her spot all by herself in the corner. And now she gets faith to go out to Jesus and to reach out and touch him. And I wonder if there was fear in her heart that if, because anybody else that she touched, what happened? They became what? Unclean. And so if if I'm going to go reach out to Jesus and I'm going to go touch him, what, am I going to make him unclean? Is he going to be angry with me? Is he going to reject me like everyone else has rejected me for so long? But she does it. And she falls on her knees and she reaches out and she grabs the hem of his garment. And you know what's amazing? This is the most amazing thing here. She doesn't make Jesus unclean. He makes her clean. Did you get that? This woman, in going to Jesus with with her disease, doesn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus makes her clean and healed. And that's the way that still works today, too. If you go to Jesus with your sin, with your filth, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you've done. I know what I've done. But but listen to me. If you hear nothing, hear this today. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how disgusting or wicked or vile your past is, when you reach out to Jesus, you're not going to make him unclean. He's going to make you clean. Do you get it? He makes you clean. This is the doctrine of expiation. Of expiation. You ever heard of the Day of Atonement? This is this woman's Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is in Leviticus chapter 16. Yom Kippur, if you ever hear that. Which is just Hebrew for Day of Atonement. Yom is day, Kippur is atonement. The day of atonement. And in the Old Testament, what would happen is the priest would would, uh, examine the goats and he'd pick out two spotless goats. Right? And he'd bring them in, and you had two goats there. You can read all about this in Leviticus chapter 16. And one goat was, was the sacrificial lamb, and the other goat was called the scapegoat. And the one goat, the sacrificial one, would, would be slain for the sins of the people, and its blood poured out so that God would forgive them because there's a price for our sin. And it was to remind the people there's a price for your sin, and blood has to be shed because of your sin. But God offers forgiveness in that. And so the sacrificial goat, right? And then the other one, though, but not only does God forgive you, that's not the end of it. Don't forget this. That's not the end. He also makes you clean. And on the scapegoat, what would happen is then the priest, after praying all the prayers under the one goat and killing it, to the scapegoat, he would go and pray all the, all the sin again onto this goat, and then they would chase it out of town. And that's the sin. That's the goat that would carry all of their sin away. And they wouldn't let it back into town. It just went out into the wilderness to die. Never to return. 
Jesus fulfills both of these, right? He is the sacrificial lamb who dies to take away the sins of the world. But he's also the scapegoat. He's also the lamb of God who takes away, John says, the sins of the world. He's your propitiation. He takes the punishment for sin on the cross. But he's also your expiation. He expiates you. He cleanses you from sin. And in this day, when she reaches out and touches Jesus, it's her, it's her day of atonement. She's made clean of her blood because of Jesus' blood on the cross. And, and her sin is taken away. She's totally healed. He, she didn't make Jesus unclean. She, he made her clean. And he does the same with you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And, and what I want you to see, if nothing else, too, is that, that both Jairus and this woman put their faith into action. See, Jesus, though, immediately after this, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around and turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, where was Jesus doing? Do you remember? Jairus came in a panic because his daughter is dying. He falls at his feet. He's like, we got to go now. She's not going to make it. You have to come touch her and heal her. And so they're making a beeline as fast as they can through the crowd to get there. This lady comes up and, and touches his garment. And all of a sudden Jesus stops. Who touched me? What was that? He felt the power of the Holy Spirit go through him and heal this woman. Now, do you think Jesus didn't know who, this, who had actually touched him? There's debate. Some people think, yeah, he, no, he knew who it was. Others would say, no, in his humanity, he really didn't know, but he knew that somebody had been healed. It doesn't really matter other than the fact that he stops and he says, who touched me? He stops. He turns around in the crowd. You ever been going in a crowd full of people and that one person stops in the middle and causes all kinds of congestion? That's Jesus right now. And he's looking around, and, and Jairus probably makes it a little further. And he's like, what's he doing? <laughs> Doesn't he know my daughter's dying? I thought he was coming. And I wonder if Jairus got mad. Do you think he got angry? Jesus said, turned about, turned around. In Luke's account, it says, after everyone denied touching him. So everyone's like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Then Peter is the one who chimes up. See, in, in Mark's account, it just says, his disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, who touched me? We find out from Luke that it was Peter who said this. Peter goes, Jesus, have you, we're like in this huge crowd. Like everybody's been touching you. And I, you know, Jesus is like, well, thanks, thanks, Peter. I didn't realize that. Thanks. That's helpful. It, it's kind of like when you have, when you have kids and uh, they both go... Uh, or are you, you walk into the kitchen and you find chocolate milk spilled on the counter, right? And you maybe have two little girls or two little boys. And uh, you walk in and you see that. And then you look back and you see two kids, one with a clean face and one with a chocolate mustache. And you go, who did it? You know who did it, right? You know who did it. But what are you trying to do? You're trying to get one of them to come forward and say it was me. In a sense, that's what Jesus is doing here. Who, who touched me? Everyone denies it. Peter says, dude, everybody's been touching you. You're never going to find out who it was. Everyone's been touching you. You're crazy. He's like, no, somebody touched me. Who was it? And he looked around to see who had done it. He kept asking. Then finally, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, remember, she felt it. She came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. She laid everything out on the table for Jesus. Luke says when she realized that she was no longer hidden, (laughs) 
she came forward and she told, Luke says, in front of everyone what had happened. And she gave testimony to what Jesus had done for her and how she had been immediately healed, Luke writes. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus, if you're coming to him and reaching out to him in faith, that's exactly what you need to do. You just need to get before him and lay it all out on the table. There's nothing he doesn't know already. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything that's been done to you. He just desires you to say, this is me and I need you. (laughs) And you lay it all out on the table for him and you repent. You turn from that and from your sin and you turn to him. And if you're afraid that when you go to him with all of that, that he's going to reject you, maybe you would remember what happens here in a moment with this woman. He doesn't reject her. She doesn't make him unclean. He makes her clean. Look what happens. So she had told everybody everything. She's trembling. I imagine this. He kind of walks toward her and he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He didn't say touching my garment healed you. He said, what made her well? Your faith. Now go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. It wasn't anything she had done. It was all Jesus' grace to her. And he he places no more demands on her. He just says, go in peace. Go in peace. It's a free gift, her healing is. But maybe the biggest thing I think here is that the title that Jesus uses to address her with. Do you notice what he calls her? He calls her what? Daughter. Daughter. Here's a woman who had lived alone for 12 years. She had no husband, no children, probably not many, if any, friends. She had no one to look out for her. She had no one. uh, She didn't have a Jairus to come forward and find Jesus and bring Jesus to her to heal her. She had to take all the responsibility on herself. And she goes and she gets to Jesus and trembling, wondering, what's this man going to do? Is he going to treat me like everyone else? And he calls her daughter. This is the only person in the Bible Jesus calls daughter. It's the only one. She didn't have anyone else. And and think about it. She may actually be older than Jesus because she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus is in his early 30s. There's, There's the possibility that she's actually older than Jesus and Jesus is calling her daughter. Why is he doing that? He's giving her a new identity. He's saying you're of God. You're a daughter of God. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. Though you might feel alone, you're never alone. You're a daughter. You're loved. You're loved. I wonder if Jairus heard this. While he's waiting to have his daughter healed, he sees this woman healed and sees Jesus call her daughter. And if he's thinking, what about my daughter? What about my daughter? But you just need to know this. If you would turn to Jesus in faith, He calls you daughter, ladies. Guys, he calls you son. He steps into the place a good father would and he protects you and he loves you and he cares for you. He gives you a new identity as one of his children. You're adopted into God's family. When you become a Christian, it's a life-changing, eternity-altering event in your life. And if you haven't, trust him. Reach out to him in faith, maybe today. 
Now Mark takes us back to the other side of the story. He says, while he was still speaking, so while Jesus is speaking blessing onto this woman. And by the way, think of this again, just one last moment with this lady. She hadn't been touched in 12 years. Now suddenly she's clean. Did Jesus go and give her a hug? Did he put a hand on her shoulder? What would that have been like for her? To be totally clean and made new. That's what Jesus does. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, look at the great tact that they have when they approach Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Like, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't want those people coming to me when I'm hurting. They, they just, very matter of fact, your, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble him anymore. Again, put yourself in the scene. Imagine you're Jairus. You'd, you'd woven through the crowds. You've been, maybe you wondered for the last 24 hours where Jesus was when he was on the other side of the lake. You've been searching for him. Your daughter's dying, your only daughter. Who knows maybe how long you had tried to have her. And now she's dying and all your dreams are being shattered. And you go to Jesus and he agrees to come. And on the way, he stops to help someone else. What about me? What about me? What about my need? I was first. I've been at the church longer. Jesus, why didn't you help me? Do you think he was angry? I'm going to guess that at some point in his heart, he was maybe a little angry. That maybe he was a little jealous. That maybe he was frustrated. That he probably had some doubts. That he began to fear for a second. No, no. You know, you get those, those words of bad news sometimes in your life and it hits you and you just, you just want to collapse, don't you? It's awful. But, but look, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I just imagine Jesus with this woman, maybe he's given her a hug, and then he, he stands up, he, or he turns around and he hears these people talking to Jairus, she's dead. And before Jairus can respond, he goes, stop, 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 stop. Don't fear, only believe. Don't fear, believe. What are you facing this week? What are you facing that uh, when you go, go into it, kind of like Jesus taking the disciples through the storm, you're like, this is, this is going to be really hard. I'm scared. I don't know what's coming. Don't fear, <laughs> only believe. Only believe. Now, does that mean that everything is going to go great and it's going to come up roses for you this week? Not necessarily. But you know what? In the end, it will, because God works all things in the end to the good of those who love him according to his purpose, who are called according to his purpose. He does. Don't fear. Only believe. Are you facing death? Are you sick? Is someone you love facing death? Don't fear. Only believe. That, that was Jairus's circumstance. His daughter was, don't fear. Only believe. What a statement. That's what Jesus says, even in the face of death. And this is a huge theme all throughout Mark's gospel. Again, I I mentioned it a second ago. You saw it on the lake, in the storm. Uh, uh, Great storm, great calm, great fear, no face in that case. Here again, great fear, but, but Mark contrasts it with, no, no, don't fear. Jesus says, only believe. Have great faith. Do not fear. Well, then Jesus allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Jesus had kind of this inner circle of three of the 12 who were kind of the executive council, for lack of a better way to say it. They were, they were the insiders. I mean, they, they spent more time with Jesus. They saw more things with Jesus. 
Um, it's just the way organizations work, and it wasn't unique among his disciples and those he led. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Finally, they get there, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Well, yeah, the young girl was dead. And when he entered, I wonder what was going through Jairus' mind at this point. When Jesus enters, he says to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? <laughs> Again, duh. But look what he says. Look what he says. The child is not dead, but sleeping. Not dead, but sleeping. This is a euphemism all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, of those who when we pass, when we die, we're not really dead. There's, there's another life waiting for us. You're simply sleeping, and you're waiting uh, to be raised to eternal life with Jesus or eternal torment uh, under his wrath in hell. At this point, this, this girl is simply sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. They didn't have faith. So he puts them out. He put them all outside and he took the child's father. Father, excuse me, takes Jairus and mother and those who were with him. So Peter, James, and John and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he says to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Taking her by the hand. She's lying there. She'd probably uh, been dead for uh, 20, 30 minutes or more by this point. But Jesus takes her by the hand. He did no incantations. He didn't speak any magic words. He didn't light any candles. He just took her by the hand and he said, little girl, get up. And Mark records what Jesus actually said in Aramaic. Those would have been his actual words. Talitha kumai. In Aramaic, it just means little girl, young child, get up. That's what he says to her. That gives testimony to the eyewitness account that Mark would have written this from, which would have been Peter's. He does that a few times. Well, look what happens. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. She didn't come back into the same state that she was, which was sick. I don't know how long she'd been sick. She came back fully healthy. And she starts walking around. She was totally healed. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is recorded as saying, get her something to eat. <laughs> Go get her something to eat. She was able to eat. She was able to walk around. She was... And we get a picture here. With the woman, we get a picture of reaching out to Jesus in faith. And this we get a picture of both Jairus' faith, of going to Jesus in faith, but also then a picture of the resurrection one day. That if you know Jesus, if you trusted him, think about this girl. Who, who was the, the first face that she saw when she came back to life? It was Jesus. Who was the first touch that she felt? It was Jesus. Who was the first voice that she heard? It was Jesus. Paul, Paul says uh, that, that when we pass, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, away from the body, present with the Lord. If you're facing death, when you face death, because we all will, if you know Jesus, do not fear, only believe. And the reality for this little girl will be the reality for you. And the first face you'll see will be Jesus. The first touch you'll feel will be Jesus. The first voice you'll hear will be Jesus. And then he'll say, let's go get something to eat, like he said in Luke's gospel. And there'll be a big feast with Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great day? We sang it earlier. What a great day that will be. Well, 
Jesus goes on, he strictly charged them. Mark goes on, excuse me. And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them, Mark records it too, and told them to give her something to eat. No one should know this, right? Matthew tells us that within a moment, I mean, like the whole district knew all about it, like right away. Like everybody knew about it. Everybody would know. But, but Jesus didn't want people to take a wrong understanding and make him king before he could uh, die on the cross for their sins so that they could be part of his kingdom. Because he is coming again when he will be king. And that'll be a good day. This morning as you leave, and maybe if you read through Matthew's account, there's a couple other examples right after this where a couple blind men, I think in Matthew chapter 9, um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but if you look it up, you'll find it. Uh, right after he raises uh, this little girl, then uh, two blind men come up behind him on his way to Nazareth, and he heals them. And then people bring a mute man to him who's uh, possessed by a demon, and he casts out the demon, and suddenly the mute man begins to speak. Wherever you at, wherever you're at today, whatever's going on, maybe um, a couple things. Maybe you're like the woman, and you simply need to reach out to Jesus in faith. You need to reach out and be healed. You need to repent of your sin, and you need to lay it all out on the table and say, "This is who I am. This is what I've done. Jesus, I need you." Or maybe you're like the father. You're like Jairus. And you have somebody you care about deeply who needs to be brought to Jesus. And you need to do your best to introduce them to Jesus and to pray for them and to go to Jesus on their behalf because maybe they can't or maybe they won't. And hopefully by his grace, Jesus, maybe because of your faith, would unleash his power in their life and heal them and save them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and uh, for the example of his work this morning in your text. Um, Lord, sometimes it's easy to read that and uh, just read through it. And yeah, there was this guy and his daughter was dead and Jesus healed him. And yeah, there was this woman who was bleeding and Jesus healed her. And we never slow down to really put ourselves in that spot of, of all the emotion of these people because they're very real. A father who is hurting over his daughter's uh, impending death and then she even did die. A woman who'd been alone and outcast for more than a decade. With no one to love her, to care for her. No one to talk with her, no one who touched her. And yet Jesus, you reached out and healed her as she reached out to you. Father, might their examples of faith be examples to us. We suffer some of the same emotions, the same... um, Sickness, the, the, the same sin as these men and women did. And we're given the same promise that if we'd simply turn to you in faith, reach out to you in faith, believe your word, take action on it, that you promise to heal us. You may not heal us physically in this life, but you will heal our hearts. You will heal our souls. And one day you'll work everything out for our good and for your glory. I pray for those today who've never trusted you. Holy Spirit, today, might, that, might this be the day that you'd uh, grab their hearts and they would reach out toward Jesus in faith. And for those of us who know you, strengthen our faith today. Father, thanks for Jesus. I pray all this through him. Amen.